We have a big DSO who invested tens of millions of dollars into a dental school. High Point University continues exponential growth in the announcement of the 10th new school. And today, it just got its new name. So this is the new name of the School of Dental Medicine. The Workman School of Dental Medicine will be the first private dental school in the state of North Carolina. Organization, it's like, hey, our number one restraint is dentist. What if we throw a couple million bucks at it? What if we throw 30, 40 million bucks at it? I'm sure you have a lot of say in what goes on, especially since it's a private school. Before COVID, there was already a national shortage of dental hygienists. And then once the pandemic hit, nearly half of the hygienists either quit or they retired. The dental insurance is doing their part by lowering their reimbursement rate. Welcome back to another episode of Dental Rift. I'm your co-host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more new patients so you can grow the way that you want. My name is Tanner Applegate. I am the CEO and founder of Unify. We are a platform centralizing all of your data into one single place and helping you make the decisions and actions to make on top of it. Awesome. So we got three really cool topics today, Tanner. So number one, we have a big DSO who invested tens of millions of dollars into a dental school. And so that's interesting uh, conversation. We also have a video of a dentist sharing their struggles on hiring hygienists, which I think is relatable. And we got some stats in there that are going to blow people's minds. And then we also have an article that you recently, uh, you and I were discussing recently about dental insurance companies and their point of view of the dental industry, which I think will help us draw some conclusions so which of those do you think we should tee off with first? Let's talk about Workman. Yeah, so, okay. Workman. So I'm going to pull up this video and... Just got its new name. So this is the new name of the School of Dental Medicine. Yes, yes. The Workman School of Dental Medicine will be the first private dental school in the state of North Carolina. The school was made possible through a $32 million gift from the Rick and Angie Workman Foundation. Dr. Rick Workman is HPU's dental innovator in residence and the founder and executive chair of Heartland Dental, which supports more than 1,600 offices nationwide. I'm, I'm very certain that High Point University has a great opportunity to become quickly one of the best schools in America because with a fresh slate and a, and a widely or rapidly changing uh, external environment, Hey, sorry to interrupt the show, but I got a segment that's going to bring a lot of value to you. It's called Ask Gary, and people are sending in their questions about marketing. Today's question comes from Dr. Michael, and he wanted to know, what can I do at the end of year to really boost my marketing to make sure my numbers don't slip, especially in November and December? And there's a couple things that you can do. Number one, you can ramp up Invisalign. Parents love buying Invisalign for their kids at the end of the year as a Christmas gift. And the best part about that, you'll get a bunch of revenue and you won't have to do the labor or the work until the next year. So that actually drives up revenue and keeps your labor down. Super valuable. The other thing is use it or lose it at the end of the year. And lastly, you have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of unaccepted treatment in your PMS, all you have to do is email them and let them know that you are running some kind of promotion at the end of the year to get them in. We actually have exact scripting about this. So if you want to learn more about this, just reach out to me. I'll get it to you. And back to the show. You want to hear it? it basically, no, he, that good. was the end of we're it. Good. Yeah. He, he basically said, yeah, we're going to be one of the better dental schools. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think they will be? Well, I have no idea. But what I can say is it's really, 
I mean, this is what I would do if I was if I was a big organization. It's like, hey, our number one restraint is dentist. It's like, cool. Could we give? What if we throw a couple million bucks at it? What if we throw 30, 40 million bucks at it, create our own school? And then I want to know what the deal is. Like, hey, I'm giving you this. You're putting my name on it, but we have first right of recruiting. Like, what's the the handshake there? You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of these dental schools and DSOs are getting into a relationship without having their name on the school. Right. And so, like, for example, in Colorado, one of the dental schools, and when you're third and fourth year now, you're starting to do rotations in these DSOs, right? And so this is like, it, they're already having these relationships, but to go in and own it, I'm, I'm not own it, but obviously be a large contributor of it financially. And I'm sure you have a lot of say in what goes on, especially since it's a private school, right? Private school, you're going to be able to have a lot of free reign on what happens. And I think it's a smart move, like you said, but, but, and, and honestly too, a lot of these schools get from what I've heard, it gets so, not all of them, but a lot of them get so much involved in this bureaucracy of like making you look good as a tenured professor, et cetera, that they lose track of like what the, the real like purpose is as a dental school. That some of the times I, I, uh, believe that opening that up to competition and making it so that it is a for-profit thing actually ends up making it a better school too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely, I just, I want to see what the agreement is. I want, I want to see the agreement of if we're giving you 30, 40 million bucks, what do we get back for that? So that's exciting to uh, see that they're trying to come up with solutions though. Um, let's, um, what do you want to cover next? Do you want to talk about the hy- hygiene shortage or do you want to talk about the dental insurance article that you have? Uh, we could chat a little bit about the dental insurance article. So the, the article was put on by Becker's and it was fascinating to me because you and I have chatted a lot on this podcast about the pain points that providers have with the payer, right? They're lowering fees, yada, yada. It's always kind of the payer's the bad guy. This was an article that was interesting because it was the chief exec, I mean, sorry, the uh, he is the executive director of the National Association of Dental Plants, right? So he's on kind of that payer side of things. And so they asked him kind of, what did you see from a trend-wise perspective? And he gave out some interesting t- statistics. He said, so back in 2017 or 2014, when they first started measuring it, plans that had a high deductible of 25, maximum of 2,500 or more only made up about 5%, but now they're about 15 to 20%, right? So that increase was interesting. And then the plans that had $1,000 or less used to make up 53% of all dental plans, but now they're only at about 33%. Right. So what he's trying to say is like, yay, the dental insurance is doing their part by selling more of these higher maximum fees, which means if they have more work to get done, they get more work done. But the problem is, is that they're also lowering their reimbursement rates. So we'll pay you less per procedure, but you can now do more procedures. It's kind of the uh, argument that they're saying, which was very interesting to me. I'd never heard the fact that like, hey, we have more high deductible plans. Yeah, me neither. Um, which would be huge, right? Because you can do way more dentistry, yeah, at a lower fee, but if you're doing more dentistry at once, you can start to factor in speed and those kind of things and really make this work in your favor. Is that right? What was interesting too, is that we always blame the insurance company. In this article though, the insurance company turned around and was blaming the employers. Hey, we're willing to sell whatever type of amazing benefits that you want, as long as the employers are the ones requesting it. 
So they're sitting there blaming the employers that the employers aren't getting nice enough benefits for the employees. And that's why they don't offer these great benefits. But I'm sure that it has something to do with the cost of the plans too. Like, yeah, I mean, I'll sell you anything at my own cost. Yeah. If I get to pick the price, I'll sell you anything all day long. But I think that's the problem is that they are not the ones picking the price. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder if dental insurance is treated like every other insurance, like a health insurance plan or a uh, like a house insurance or car insurance plan. What would that actually cost? I have no idea. Right? So it's like, oh, if my tooth falls out, I pay a deductible and they put the tooth back in. If If I have some, you know, I need dental implants. They're going to put dental implants in. I pay a deductible for those that kind, those kind of procedures. And it's like for health insurance, it's okay. If you need your routine checkups, that's basically covered. And then if you need this kind of work, then it's you pay this kind of deductible. And if you need this kind of work, you pay this kind of deductible. I actually talked to somebody one time that kind of had an algorithm figured out on this for their practice. And they offered an in-house membership around it. And, but they looked at it, they treated it like an insurance plan. It was like, oh, if you're coming in and you need this much work, we, we're going to be able to predict how much work you're going to need in the future. And we'll cover all of it if you're willing to pay this much a month. Yeah, we actually had it together on the pod. Um, I know who you're talking about, but it was really kind of what's interesting about that model, though, is that because he owns his own plan, he also owns the diagnosis and the maintenance of that. Right. So it's almost kind of like you're moving the incentive away from like, hey, the more dentistry I do, the more I make. It's now the you're incentive is too. like, I get le- the less I do, the more I make. Which is actually good, a good model, right? For the patient. Well, I don't know if it always is though, because you can get a provider now that will underdiagnose. Because if I had a chip in my tooth and they're saying, oh, it's fine, we'll keep an eye on it. And all of a sudden, like it explodes and I need to get a crown. Uh, like, there's no incentive for the doctor to actually do it in a timely way now because they don't get paid any extra or more. Yeah, that's true. Interesting stuff. Okay. So obviously dental hygienists have been a big pain for people and everybody feels it. Everybody knows it, but I'm going to share this with you and just seeing this in one setting in one clip and thinking through this from a data standpoint, this is very interesting stuff. Well, before COVID, there was already a national shortage of dental hygienists. And then once the pandemic hit, nearly half of the hygienists either quit or they retired. 8 News Now anchor Kirsten Joy spoke to a Las Vegas dentist on what's being done to recruit more hygienists. I think it's a wonderful profession for people to get into. Dr. Didi Mavason has been a dentist for 15 years. She has one practice in the Silverado Ranch area, her second in the medical district on Charleston. Staffing these locations has proved challenging. We were actively looking for a dental hygienist for over two years before we found one. My friends, my dental friends here in Las Vegas as well have been looking and some still haven't found that. She hired dental hygienist Emily Wing, who moved to Las Vegas from California. As a hygienist, it's really great that you can work alongside with dentists and you can help diagnose anything that you see within a patient. An American Dental Association poll showed nearly 40% of dental practices are trying to recruit hygienists. And of those, 95% said it's been difficult to hire someone. In the 20 largest U.S. cities, the poll found that only half of hygienist positions are reported as filled. Since COVID, annual salaries for dental hygienists have nearly doubled to an average of $90,000. It is nice to be 
that's advised. Um, but I feel like it is more appealing, especially for new grads nowadays. And with our economy, it's it's great. It's a great compensation. For Emily, the career choice, more about the flexibility it offers with being a mom as well. For Dr. Mevison, the higher salary to get great talent like Emily is worth every penny. But the current downside. Dental insurance has not increased the reimbursements to help match that. So it's a it's a big issue for a lot of dental professionals across the nation because we're trying to accommodate the higher salary without the um, reimbursement rates going up. So have you have you uh, have you seen it kind of broken down that way? I haven't seen that all pieced together like that. Yeah, I've seen it. The ADA is the one that a lot of those statistics come from, and it was interesting to hear those as well. What do you, what do you, uh, there's no way out of this one. <laughs> there's no wiggle room out of this. I, I think what's really interesting is the news hit the nail on the head. It's like, oh, it's $90,000 insurance isn't paying for it. But then the hygienist was like, but the really important thing to me is flexibility. And it's like, well, those are two different things, right? Um, a lot of people still aren't. My wife, my wife stays home with our kids. She doesn't go out and actively work, but she said if she ever goes back into the job market, dental hygienist is what she wants to do. Why? And why? And how many kids do you have? Because of that, because of the, the amount of pay is actually really good for the amount of education that's requires. And then the flexibility of saying like, Hey, I want to be able to say, I'm only going to work three days a week. There's not a lot of jobs that you can do that because you're on a kind of person to person transactional relationship. It's not like there's a whole team or project depending on you every single day. It's just really that patient that's in front of you. Yeah, that's true. And then after you, and then when you go home, you don't worry about it, right? Like you don't have to think, oh no, what's going on? Like your worst thing is like, "Mm, I don't like this person I work with. And then you can just move offices because you're in high demand. Right. So you can basically. I I wouldn't be surprised if what happens is this, this lull in dental hygienists pushes a surge of like hiring and training up a bunch of dental hygienists. And then we go through a period where there's overabundance of them, and then it kind of stabilizes over the next five years. Yeah. And then salaries don't go up again, yeah, for a long time, or they even go backwards. Right. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, great show today. Awesome. Talk to you soon. I'll talk to you.